She has so much experience teaching women, counseling women, working with women, and I, I'm just so blessed by her ministry. So thank you, Dr. Ellen, for coming tonight no and teaching us tonight. No problem. I think it's on. I could find nowhere to put it, so. Hello. How are we doing? I hope you brought your Bible and questions and you're ready to jump right in. I, um, I am so grateful for them allowing me to come out and spend some time with you. I feel like I'm a long way from y'all, so I'll wander over there. I'm a wanderer, so it's okay. Um, and I'm just excited to talk about God's role for us. I, my passion is women and women's ministry. As a matter of fact, I got my doctorate in women's ministry and church administration. So I'm very excited to be talking about what God has done, which is a good thing, right? Well, why don't we jump right on in? I think Miss Janet has prayed for us. I'm going to try to work a Mac. I don't know how, but we're going to see what happens here. Tonight, we're going to talk about biblical womanhood, but we want to talk about it from the perspective of everything that God has created and how he created it to function, because he's an all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving God. Would you agree? So now, this is not the silent hour. Feel free. Talk with me, you know. I want to start by asking uh, us to explore, explore the idea that being a woman is a joy, Contrary to what the culture would suggest to you, contrary to the evils of this world, everything that God created is good. We're going to talk about male-female roles. And, and what are the implications then? If this is what God says for us, what are the implications as it relates to our home life, as it relates to our church life? We're going to discuss God's design for everyone, not just women. And we're going to explore a couple of definitions. Of what is a female? You would think you'd have to ask that today, right? <laughs> yeah, we're going to explore that. And we're going to briefly examine current worldviews regarding womanhood, which is complementarianism and egalitarianism. Now, how many of you have ever heard the word complementarian? All right, raise them high. Let me see. Okay. What, well, let me go the other way. How many have not? Okay. What about egalitarian? Okay. It's about a 50-50 split, I would say. So that's good. All right, we're going to explore some of that tonight. I am quite intrigued by this lady, and you'll know her once we get there. She's a woman from the 1970s. Here's what she once said. She said, some of us are becoming the men we wanted to marry. Now, this is from the 70s. It's still applicable today. She says, a liberated woman is one who has sex before marriage and a job after she said, the surest way to be alone is to get married. Well, mind you, she stayed single for the major part of her life, got married later in life, and was only married a few years before he died. But she did actually get married. She says, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Anybody know who I'm talking about? That's it. That's it. Of course, you started in the notes, didn't you? No. But those of you who have lived through this, you remember this, Right? Her name is Gloria Steinem, and she was the face of feminism in the early 1970s. She created the Ms. Magazine. This was a big deal. So we may call it egalitarianism, complementarianism today, but that's not the terms that it started at. It started as uh, traditionalist, 
feminist. It's had many, many iterations in terms of what we call this. But I want to start by laying a good foundation of saying God has a design for everyone. It's not just for women. He has a design for everyone. All created beings, whether visible or invisible, were made by God. Now, for those of you who may be taking notes, that's your first line. (laughs) Everything was made by God. Colossians 1 and 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So if we have a problem with the way things are, who do we have to take it up with? Amen. Now, all things were made for God. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6 says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So we were made for God. Now, that's going to be important when we start talking about what I want to do, what I want to do, when I want to do it. All right. But you were made for God and you were made by God and you belong to God. Psalm 24, 1 and 2 says the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. What does it all contain? Everything, including us. The earth is the Lord's. And all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So God created all things and all things he created were good, but he created them with a plan. Now, we have a way of looking at the world and you call that world view. The way you look at the world and the God who made the world is how you're going to see things. So we have to discover for ourselves, what is my world view? What do I believe about man, i.e. male, female? What do I believe about man? And then what do I believe about the God that created man? Now, how we believe man should respond to life and respond to God that gives life will be based and determined on our worldview. Now, you pick up a worldview, we'll call it worldview, we'll call it belief system, call it whatever you want to call it, but we got this from our parents, we got it from... Church, we got it from authorities, we caught it at the schoolyard, we caught it by our friends, our friend groups. We developed a belief system, not necessarily always from the Bible. Would you agree? And then we bring that into our Christian walk, we bring that into the church, but we don't always validate that worldview based on the Bible. So basically, worldview is a view of the world and how we should operate in it. Our worldview will determine what we believe about biblical womanhood. So if I just asked you, what were you taught about being a woman? I won't even say biblical womanhood. What were you taught? Keep your house clean. clean. Okay, what else? Husband's the head of the house. Husband is the head of the house? Be independent. Hey, be independent. Listen, that's what I was taught. My grandmother, she, she put, well, it was way back when, but she'd give me a quarter, say, baby, you're going to keep money with you when you leave this house because if you need to leave, you need to get home, you got your own, right? <laughs> you don't have to depend on no man for nothing. See, I was raised under all of that. 
And for many, many, many years of my life, I believed that. Who? I don't need a man. I'm a whole grown woman. Right? <laughs> that was the belief system. That was my worldview. Over here, I saw some hands. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Oh, oh, all right. So she went to children. Yes. <laughs> Worldview. But you see, we picked it up from many different places. If we were honest with ourselves, there's probably still many things that we believe that are contrary to what God's word says. Yes, ma'am. Also, you have no, you have to always be unselfish. Taking care of others, no one can take care of you. Good, good, good. Yeah. Would you agree that we probably still have some things that we live by and believe that are not necessarily biblical? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's our worldview. So our worldview will determine our actions. It's always going to determine our actions. It's going to determine our values. It will also determine our priorities. So if you teach, go back to children. If we're teaching our children that going to school and getting a good education and having an amazing career is the most important thing, then we are likely not to make coming to church as important. We will likely not make studying the Bible as important because, you know, they have to do homework. We will make other things a bigger priority than learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of God. I always say to young women when they're having their children, just be reminded that God gave you that gift to impart truth. It's okay for them to become a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it is, a plumber, whatever it is that they choose to do. But what you don't want is for them to be a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber that's on their way to hell. So our worldview will determine our priorities. Now, if your priority is being in control, right, decision making, who has the final say? If that's your ultimate goal and that's your priority, then you will have trouble with biblical womanhood. You will have trouble in your home. If your priority is being viewed as competent, meaning why can't I do this? I'm just as good as the other person. I'm just as gifted and valuable as the other person. Then we will struggle. If your priority is having a career above taking care of the home, you may struggle. If your priority is being happy, and we do a lot of counseling, and I've heard this a hundred times, I am leaving him, I am done with him, because surely God does not want me to be unhappy. (laughs) Me? I'm his child. You see how we turn that around? I'm a child of God, so then I've determined that God's priority with me is happiness, not holiness. God's priority with us is holiness. Security or a life without pain. Where are the singles? No singles? Uh, just says, hi. A smidgen of singles, or either they don't want to raise their hand. A lot of singles will say to me, I'm, I'm not willing to take a chance on entering into another relationship with a man because I may get hurt. So I'm going to protect myself and just not do that. Well, it's a fallen world. People are going to sin against you. We are imperfect people. But if your priority is security and a life without pain, you will do whatever it takes, regardless to whether or not it is biblical, to make sure you never hurt again. Now, take a quick break. I just want to know, what are you thinking based on what I've said so far? 
You might be thinking, where is she going with this, right? <laughs> but just, just baseline, what are you thinking? Okay. No? Uh-huh. Um, it's very hard to have a biblical worldview of women. The culture doesn't doesn't support that. Well, I would s- I'm I'm gonna say that it is not a United States problem, it's a heart problem that exists all over the world. My husband and I do missions a lot. We went to Lebanon and in Lebanon, anybody from Lebanon? In Lebanon the men are permitted to beat women in the streets for whatever reason they deem necessary. So I had to have, my husband had, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I could go nowhere by myself. We went to Burger King and the policemen started following me and I'm sorry, I'm a black woman, why are you following me? I'm just saying. (laughs) I asked, why is he following me with these really big guns? They said, he's here to protect you because they will harm you. It's not a U.S. problem. It's a heart problem. Anybody else? What are you thinking? Yes, ma'am. I have um, gone down some of those roads of wanting, prioritizing, being viewed as competent. How can you get to make the decision? And I haven't finished having my say. I know some things, and Mm -hmm. you need to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And it did not, uh, it did not go well. Yeah, yeah. What about my voice? What about what I know? I like that. Let's go forward just a little bit. Unfortunately, fortunately, we must define what is female. I know that's a little weird, a little odd, but we got to do it. Uh, my grand, I have four grandsons, and uh, one day, maybe a few months ago, my oldest grandson came home and he said, Nana. I said, what happened? Because I always ask him, what happened at school today? He said, do you know there are furries at my school? Now listen, I'm 55, I thought he was talking about rats or rodents or whatever, and I said, well, what is, what is a furry? He said, they allow them, the school district allows them to wear their, their ears and their tail. Now they can't wear the full situation, but they can wear their ears and their tail, and the teachers have to relate to them as furries. They think they're animals, Right? Yeah, well, this was a high school. This was high school. So, you know, we do need to have definitions, biblical definitions. So let's jump into this. Genesis 1, who has their Bible and would like to read with me? We're going to cover these a lot. Genesis 1, 27 and chapter 2, verse 18. Yes, ma'am. One twenty-seven, and someone grab chapter two, verse eighteen. I got two eighteen. Okay. Now it doesn't say male, female, and furry, <laughs> right? In the image of God, He created them, male and female. Chapter two, verse eighteen. God said, I will make a helper for him. See, God created material and immaterial beings. Females are created with a unique DNA. We have two X chromosomes. Any medical people in here with me? 
hand real high. Okay, good, yeah. Medical, 2X chromosomes, right? We are physically distinct from men. We are. You can change it, turn it, flip it, upside down. Oh, no, I don't know. You do all that, but the DNA will not lie. We have a vagina. We have a womb. We have ovaries. We have a uterus. All for particular function and purpose in the culture alongside but distinct from males. We still together? Now, the thing is that in most cases, men are born with a penis and women are born with a vagina. Now, in most cases, medical people, stay with me. Some women are born without ovaries. Okay, we live in a fallen world. The ground is cursed. Things are upside down. Things don't come out now the way they should have back in the garden. Some women are born with two wombs. Some women are born without things. Some women have double, this is the way the doctor explained it to me, double vaginas, but it's actually double wounds. There's a case study, this woman that was pregnant in each, uh, what's the thing called? Yeah, two of them. I said, I got enough trouble with one. You want me to manage two? This is a fallen world. The point we want to take from this is that Whether you have more than you were supposed to have or you're missing something, the DNA will not lie. And God created us distinctly different. Now, we want to define biblical womanhood. How many of you have heard the term? Biblical womanhood. It's our mindset. It's our manner. It's our movement. And we are distinctly created in this way. It's how God has called us to function in this world that we live in. But guess what? It is a very freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from men in ways appropriate to women's differing relationships. Listen, kicking against the grain can be tiring. It can wear you out trying to kick against God's design. And you think you're doing good and you're just so worn out trying to fight that battle that we don't even have to fight. It is so freeing to walk in the design that God has made for us. But the reason I think we don't is because it's almost like getting your information on the street. There's so much out there that's wrong about biblical womanhood. So we automatically, our flesh gravitates away from it. I'm here to tell you it's freeing, it's good, it is what God designed. So a woman that embraces biblical womanhood experiences freedom. The greatest freedom is found in being so changed by God's spirit that you can do what you love to do and know that it conforms to the design of God and leads to life and glory. Listen, it is so freeing once I stop kicking against the grain with submission. My husband and I have an amazing relationship, but that wasn't the case always. The first five years I lived in that world because I came out of that world. Example being, my husband liked nothing fake. No fake nails, no fake hair, no fake eyelash, no fake, no, 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 nothing, right? So we got married and I was all like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, right? We've been married almost 27 years. We had been married maybe six months or so and I remember saying, oh, hey, I'm on my way out to the hairdresser and I'll see you later. And he was like, oh, okay, what you going to get done to your hair? I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to need a sew-in. I'm going to think I'm, you know, 
He said, what is that? You know, I think I'm going to have him put some pieces in, maybe a ponytail. He was like, yeah, no, let's not do that. (laughs) What? And I remember this day. I remember it like it was yesterday because my mind said, wait, what? And he said, yeah, no, let's, why don't we not, have her do something else. Don't do that. I thought that was a suggestion. <laughs> so I took it as such. Oh, okay, no problem. Before I got out the door, he said, you, you're not going to do that, right? I don't know. I'll think about it. No, 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 you're not going to do that. What do you say? No, no, you're not going to do that. Let's not do that. Remember, we talked about that. Let's not do that. I went into a whole worldly, ungodly, don't know the Lord fit. <laughs> Because I had a problem that I needed to deal with, which was my worldview. And in that moment, my worldview was, so you're telling me that submission goes down to my hair? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Ooh, boo, let me call somebody for you. Because you have got to be wrong. You must be wrong. We later since worked it out, and then, you know, as you can tell, He's good with it all. However, it was a process. God had to show me the truth. I had to walk in the truth. And what happened was he changed and I changed. And now we work together very well. But if you don't submit, you're constantly kicking against the grain. This will be a long-term fight for you. True freedom cannot ignore God's judgment and God's will for our lives. You can't be totally free and walk in your Christianity kicking against God's design. You will always find that you are putting your own self in bondage. So now, what's the role from the beginning? God established these roles way back in the beginning. And nowhere in the Bible are you going to find that he changed it. You can go back to Genesis. You can talk to your feminist friends. You can talk to your egalitarian friends. But I'm going to show you how they get to the wrong conclusion with the same scriptures that you have. There's nowhere you're going to find in the Bible that he has changed this design. Now, Genesis, we do need to read a few more. What time do we need to stop? Okay, let's run. Genesis, somebody, readers, grab for me. Genesis 1, we read this, right? 26 to 27, let's go back to it. And I need about three or four more readers. Any takers? Yeah, yeah. I need two more. Uh, red and black. Okay, let's go. Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So we are equal heirs to the throne of grace. Okay, follow me. That's very important. We are equal heirs. Male and female are equal heirs to the throne of grace. We are unequal in function. Equal heirs. Adam followed his wife's lead. Did you ever wonder why God says to Adam after Eve has done what she's done, had this conversation she shouldn't have had? Now, watch out who y'all talking to, right? She has this conversation that gets them all in trouble. God didn't say, Eve, what'd you do? He says, Adam, where are you? He gave the instructions to Adam. He told him to name the animals. God gave Adam leadership. He gave up his leadership. He didn't maintain that before God. Now, 
I will just plug here. Oftentimes in counseling, we have problems in the relationship because a lady says, well, my husband doesn't have much to say. Now, here's the problem. He doesn't say anything because he doesn't want to fight with you. Still a problem. Problem for the woman and problem for the man. His problem is he's abdicating his role as leader by yielding because he doesn't want the conflict. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Anyone? Okay, so that's the authority given right there. He brought them to him to see what the men. In the context of that Old Testament verse, whoever names has the authority. The man had the authority right there. He made her a helper to the mission that he had given Adam. So it's way before the fall. Many people will tell you this hierarchy of submission came after, as we see, it happened before the fall. She shall be called, he named again. Y'all, are y'all following me? Mm-hmm. Keep going. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife are both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, woman's purposeful design is to be a suitable helper to the man. A suitable helper. Now, before you head for the exit... Hold on, we're going to smooth all this out. Just, just hold on, all right? It's, the word there, helper, is ezer konegdo. Ezer konegdo. Can you say that one? Ezer konegdo. It's a helper who is like him, who is comparable in essence and being, but like him. The problem we're going to see when we get to the feminist view of it or the egalitarian view is that they change this to say a helper just like him. But that's not what this word means in this verse. It means helper like him. So in essence, we are equal with man in image, meaning created in the image of God. We are equal with man in essence, meaning we are just as important to God as any man. So what's happening is the world is trying to get you to view this by saying you're lesser because you're Created as a helper. You're let, no, we are just as important to God as the male that he made. We are equal to man in the sense that we are valuable to God and his purposes. Listen, Adam couldn't get it done by himself. Eve was called to help him, which is why we say in a husband and wife relationship, it takes two. It's not like she's unimportant or not valuable. She's the helper that helps carry forth the mission. It takes both to work together, but our functions are different. So there are two views as it relates to women in ministry. What we've been talking about is egalitarian versus complementarian. 
Now, on the egalitarian side, they say, because men and women are created equal, there are no role distinctions. None. Nowhere. He's not the head of the house. No, they say there are, because we're equal. They say role distinctions are the result of the original fall into sin and the subsequent curse. But we just saw he had the authority long before the fall. Therefore, redemption in Christ removes. They're saying the blood of Christ, we got saved. Redemption by Christ removes all role distinctions. They say that role distinctions are legalistic and contrary to scripture and to God. That's not so. Complementarians say this. Man and woman are equal in being but have different God-ordained roles to fill. Equal in being. The fall into sin and the subsequent curse did not institute the roles. Rather, creation order established the roles and the fall into sin created the struggle. You see, the roles were already there. When you look into the scripture in Genesis, when he talks to Eve about her curse, her consequence, it says your desire will be for your husband. That's not a good thing in that verse. That's not like, oh, you're going to want to always be partied up with him and hanging out. No. That means your desire, your desire to rule over him, your desire to take his place, your desire to be above him. That's what that means. So it wasn't before. It was, I mean, it wasn't after. It was before. Role distinctions are freeing and not binding. This is not some wicked uh, joke that God is playing on us as women. This is freeing, not binding. They are given by God to help the man and the woman function together. Y'all are super silent. Feminist egalitarians. Okay, we must go to Galatians 3 and 28. See, they refer to this in a, in a special kind of way. Now, Galatians 3 and 28 says, now let's just read 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all what? One One in Christ. This is the verse they hang their hat on, that this has to do with role distinctions, hierarchies, and who's in charge. But you know what? Context would help them a whole lot, right? So let's back up and get some context. Uh, We don't have a lot of time. I usually go all the way back to verse 1, but... Let's see if we can start at verse 15. Uh, It's good to go back to verse 1. I just don't have time. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Okay, okay. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. I'm headed to 28. What I am saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. 
Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. What are we talking about? Righteousness? Ah, who said it? Aha. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of faith, what's that word? Faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What are we talking about? Salvation, believing in Christ. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by what? Faith. What are we talking about? Verse 25, but now the faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What are they talking about? Context is really super important here. They hang their whole hat. If you go to the website, their whole hat is hanging on Galatians 3.28, which it doesn't stand. Theological. They say regarding men and women's standing before God, that this verse is about our standing. And that it's about, even in social life, regarding all of our relationships and day-to-day living. They say that um, if men and women are equal before God, then there can be no differences within their roles and responsibilities in society. There can be no differences. Now, this is also going to bleed into you can be a furry. There can be no differences. You see how far the flesh will take this? There can be no differences. Elimination of role distinctions between men and uh, women in Christianity is what they're getting to. They demand that no other verse... Y'all, there's 66 books in the Bible. They hang on one verse. We were taught in seminary that scripture interprets scripture. You don't go build a whole theology on one verse. That's what they have done. So they say nothing else that you read to them for the rest of the Bible can do away with what they're taking from Galatians 3.28. They then interpret all other New Testament verses on women in light of the feminist understanding of 3.28. So when you get on over to Timothy, they're going to view it in light of Galatians 3.28. And they are standing firm, strong, and wrong, and will not be moved. Right? Now, I want to talk about complementarianism for just a little bit. This term was coined by Wayne Grudem. It's not very old. I said that earlier. And other founders of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. They were just trying to find a way to say exactly what God is saying without the cultural problems that had come attached to, you know, traditionalism. The definition, uh, they said, is the equal value but different functions of men and women in God's created order. I said it hasn't been around that long. But what I want you to think about is that we already said this. If you take nothing else away from tonight, take this. We are equal with man in what? We are equal with man in what? In essence, as we are just as important. Right? We are equal to man in what? 
value to God. Is anybody else hot? I know I'm in menopause, so it's probably just me. I feel like the lady on the wicked, what is it, wizard? I'm melting, I'm melting. Uh, Equally valuable to God and his purposes. We read Genesis. Uh, The purposeful design was to be suitable. We're functioning from this Ezra Conegdo relationship. You're going to have a bunch of questions on that, but we'll answer that in the second half. So, we have distinct genders. This is our summary on complementarianism. We are equal in value. Men have a leadership role, right? I'm talking about functions. Men have a leadership role in terms of authority and teaching in the church and in the family. Women support their husbands in the home and their leadership in the church. Now, both egalitarian and complementarian, they agree that we're equal before God. The difference is in the roles between men and women, right? Our borders give us freedom. Think about it like this. Who has kids, small kids? Like, you, you, you ever fence them in? I mean, you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Like, when my kids were little, we would, we would literally flip the couches over and kind of make like a little square and uh, so I can go cook dinner but see you and you can't get out of that little square, right? It's not harmful to you, it's helpful to you, and it helps me get done what I need to get done. When a playground is fenced in, children play all over the playground. But what? They know the boundaries. That's the same with us. There's so much that we're supposed to be doing, but yes, there are a few boundaries. Now, cultural views. Our culture, right, the world, says that complementarianism is restrictive because you're female and your brains are smaller. No, truly, science, scientists had said in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s that our brains were smaller than men. So we couldn't really be leaders of anything because our little brains just couldn't handle it, right? So they say this is your inferior Now, what is the first thing that comes to our mind as women, especially those who were raised as myself independent, who came to the marriage with, I got the song in my mind, I make my own money, I buy my own clothes, I got all, you know, who comes to, what is your, what are you telling me? I'm not smart, I'm inferior, I'm less than, what are you saying? I can't decide to put weave in my hair? Like, you see what I'm saying? This is what we get from the culture. Scripture is not cultural. It's not, it gives us non-cultural commands. These commands go through time. It doesn't matter how many times the world changed their view. God's views remain the same. So the bottom line is this. Most of the time, our problem is about authority. Would you agree? Yeah. Who's going to tell me what to do? You can't tell me what to do. You ain't my daddy. <laughs> Most of the time, it's the flesh. Most of the time, it's not even what God has said or what he hasn't said. It usually is just our flesh wanting what we want when we want. God gives us a biblical design. We have to ask, who's really in control here? So women have been given a role to follow just like men. We each function differently, but when we function together, we are blessed. The church is blessed. The home is blessed. When the roles are flipped then selfish ambition runs rampant throughout the house. The kids are confused. Mommy and daddy are at odds, and the kids get to play you like a little top. Thank you so much. 
menopause. Selfish ambition runs rampant. Disorder can become the ruling force in so many homes, evangelical homes. Disorder becomes the ruling force in our churches because we're fighting over what I call this wooden idol called the pulpit. Disorder runs rampant when we don't walk in our roles. So the Christian attitude towards authority and submission should be different than the world. You should be able to go to your job and have unbelievers and your view should not be the same. Girl, just leave him. You don't need him. You shouldn't be partnering up to that. Right? Your views should be different than what is out there in the world. Somebody's got to stand up and say, well, everything that God did is good. Yeah, I don't understand it. Maybe I don't even like it all the time. But hey, I didn't create it. I always like to say about the word of God, I didn't write it. So it's just my job to live according to it. The Bible does not eliminate authority, but cautions that authority should be exercised in a way that honors Christ. So I know, because I've taught this and I know what you're asking. Yeah, but what about men who don't do what they're supposed to do and who don't handle their spouses correctly or don't handle their leadership well? I say, okay, listen. I'm going to tell you like the lady told me when I got married. She said, baby, you just stay in line with the Lord. When he gets out of line, just duck. <laughs> and watch the Lord beat him all about the head. You see, Christianity is not like a relay race. It's not a group activity. It's not, I'm going to do what God told me to do when you do what God tells you to do. No. When we said we were blood bought, I accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I place my faith and my confidence in him. I now belong to him. I am now a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. I can no longer just say, I'll do right by God when you do right by God. My relationship with God is not dependent on you. My relationship with God is our relationship. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll keep my commands when your husband get it straight. Right? Did he say it? A lot of women come, they come to counsel and they say, well, he's just so dumb and he's just so stupid and he just don't know and he can't make good decisions. And I say, well, who picked him? <laughs> I'm just wondering, was it a shotgun wedding? We don't do that anymore, right? Hmm. Let me hurry to an end. Those in authority, husbands, elders, parents, employers are instructed to use their authority in a godly way. Listen, no man has permission from God to misuse his authority. Amen? Amen. No woman has permission from God to misuse her function and her role either. You got to trust that God's on the throne and he's going to make a way. He's going to take care of it. Don't try to take care of it your way. Take care of it in God's way. God will deal with those people. Those who are to submit to these authorities, wives, church members, children, employees, are instructed to submit to authority in a godly way. Now, men do not have ultimate authority. Amen. I'm going to look for them some of the amen later. God doesn't, I mean, men do not have ultimate authority. What does that mean? They can't tell you to do something that is sinful. They can't rule over you in a sinful way. This is why we have the covering called the church. My husband and I set up uh, a situation to where there's three men that he knows and he respects. Should he begin to act completely crazy, I just go through my phone and push a number. I'm 
going to need you to handle this. Because they don't have ultimate authority. A man that will not submit to someone else is a poor leader. A man that won't line himself up under some authority in the church house, he should be submitting to the pastor as the rest of us. Right? So the wife should be able to call the church and make, hey, this dude here lost his mind. And then you come in and you have that conversation. But here's what happens. Women don't do that. We abandon our role. And we start acting as crazy as him. So then what? God's got to deal with both of us because we're both out of control. The elimination of authority. Feminists want to rule out the submission of wives to husbands and women to male leadership in the church on the basis of Galatians. We did that. Uh, We can't do that. So, listen, gender worldview problems in the home. Husbands fail to exhibit humble, loving leadership to their family. Some of them do, yes. Remember I said it's a fallen world? Nobody's perfect. Are we perfect? Oh, it was only one person. Are, are we perfect? No. Yeah, we're not perfect. They're not perfect. Let me tell you how you set up any male leader, be it your father, your husband, your pastor, your deacons, your elders. Let me tell you how you set them up. Your expectation is that they will never fail you. Come on, work with me. Think on that. Your expectation is that they will never do anything that will disappoint you. They will never sin against you. Well, here's my problem with that. If they do that, then they are Jesus because he's the only perfect one. So we are all going to sin against each other at some point. If you give them the room and the grace as you want the room and the grace, then we all work together better. Wives fail to exhibit willing, intelligent submission to their husbands. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. This is what I tell women all the time. You say, if I submit to male leadership, then I'm the weak one. (laughs) It takes a whole lot of strength and a whole lot of humility to submit to leadership. It's the opposite of what the world is telling you. The world is telling you, you are weak and you are a pushover and you are a rollover. No. There are a hundred ways that I think in my head that I could have done that better. But it wasn't for me to do that. I remember when we first got married, my, we bought these little trash cans. And you know the little plastic ones, they come and they're stuck together. I, I went to my husband and I said, I can't get it apart. We were setting up our house, unpacking. Can you take this apart? I go back 45 minutes later. He's still fighting with the garbage cans. I'm like... Fine, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he's like, no, I got it. I'm like, okay, so I go back 30 minutes later. He's still fighting with the trash cans. I'm like, dude, give it to me. I'll figure it out. And he's like, no, you asked for help. (laughs) I have to say, okay, honey, you'll work it out and go do something else. Right? It takes a whole lot of humility and a whole lot of strength. Motherhood and homemaking are often viewed as secondary responsibilities. Parents fail to be intentional in encouraging biblical masculinity in their sons and biblical femininity in their daughters. Let's stop here, and we'll come back and look at the rest of this. But before we stop, I know something's on your mind by now. Tell me, what is it? What are you thinking? Yes, ma'am. So I have a single parent. Uh-huh. Three daughters. Uh-huh. I have to wear 
Uh huh. Because you teach them by example uh, in every other area of your life. How do you submit to the other leadership in your life? You teach them biblical truths and say just because it doesn't exist right here for whatever reason doesn't mean that God's word is untrue. We submit to our church leaders. We submit to our bosses. We submit all over the world. You teach them the principles of God. Our circumstances don't deny the principles of God. So you teach them, and you teach them by example. Anybody else? What are you thinking? Yes, ma'am, in the back. Well, I don't know if that's in relation to womanhood, but... Oh, maybe because you're saying maybe a man. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm slow. Uh, (laughs) Or men. Or men, yeah. You know what? Here's the thing. It's not my job to change somebody's opinion of me. It's not. I can't do it anyway because I can't control them. So they're free to believe what they like to believe. I know who God created me to be and I know who I am. If we run around trying to change everybody's mind, you will be a miserable somebody. I usually just leave people with their opinions. Oh, God bless you. Bless your heart. (laughs) Well, that's fine as long as they don't say it. Children are a different matter. Children don't get to be rebellious and disobedient and flagrant. You can keep your thoughts at your house. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have to come out. And you show them love, and kids will grow up and make up their own mind over time. How do you set that example for your grandchildren? Like, like I'm around them a lot, so do I just show them that through my own marriage, or? Both. You teach and you show. Teach and you show. Everything should be a teachable moment. Walk and talk. Everything. You're, you're cooking. You're teaching. You take them to Titus. Uh, God called us to be keepers of our home. Hey, this is why we do what we do. Look, let me show you. One more. Right. Yes, 
But here's the problem. The problem is not with the culture. The problem is with us. Because we don't express that it is a good thing. We don't walk around content in our good thing. We walk around murmuring and grumbling and complaining and talking about leadership, talking about husbands. We, we, we agree with them through our actions and our conversations with them. We are not appearing different to the world, not different enough. There's not enough of us standing strong together saying, this is a good thing, and I like what God did. We roll over into that. So the culture's not the problem. They're going to be what they're going to be. Sinners do what sinners do. We're the problem. All right, let's go to break. Okay, go ahead. Oh, Obviously, I'm thinking you need to know God's word. You got to know God's word. But, okay, so, sum, yeah, so submission biblically, it, it, submit, the, the text is submit in all things. What does all mean? All means all. The problem is a created thing can't tell you to do something that the creator told you not to. So submission goes up to the point of sin. Right when you get to sin, that's when you have to say, oh, I respectfully can't do that. You say it in love, but it's to the point of sin. Our problem is what we declare to be sin most times ain't really sin. I don't want to cook. I'm not picking up your socks. You know, we start trying to carve out things that aren't true biblical sin issues. But literally, submission is up to the point of sin. So back to the beginning of your question. Somebody could take advantage of me. I could have a spouse that doesn't appreciate the gift, the help that he's been given. Shame on him. Shame on him. God's going to deal with that. But that does not give me permission not to continue to submit if he's not asking me to sin. I pray and take it to God, and that would be my role. Take it to God. Take it to leadership. You don't, you don't, remember, Christians don't exist in a bubble. That's why the local church is so important. We are here for each other. The men get together, the brotherhood get together and be like, man, don't talk to your wife like that. But what if they're never saying that? But what if you never are fellowshipping with other Christian uh, couples to where y'all can see how you interact? then nobody knows what's going on, right? But I would say for the, for the woman, don't focus on being taken advantage of because people who are walking in sin are going to do that. Pray for them, love on them, encourage them, express your concern, and then if need be, get mediators, people from the church together. Yes, ma'am. Now, what type of abuse are we talking about? We're going to be here all night. Okay, so what do you want me to do? (laughs) Uh, Go back to this morning. Sunday school, were you here? Um, So who's in control of my emotions? So if I'm the one that's in charge of my emotions, how can you damage my emotions? You can't damage my emotions. You can verbally sin against me. Yes. 
You can verbally say things that are sinful, hateful, not loving, not edifying. Yes, but once you say that, it's up to me what I do with that. So I determine the level that I'm going to harbor that attitude against you in my heart. I'm not a victim. I'm victorious because I have the power. Right? Y'all, y'all, y'all looking at me like, no, I don't know about all that. If that's the case, then we're always at the whim of whoever says whatever does whatever. We're held hostage by that. No, we are, out, the word says, out of abundance of the heart, what? So then everything that comes out, my attitude, my anger, my sadness, my grief over what you said came from my own heart. I don't have to like what you're saying, what you're doing, and that's wrong, and it's sinful. And and if you're a Christian and you're in a church, we need to take that to somebody and have them to deal with that. But at the same time, I am not emotionally abused. I'm also not verbally abused. I'm sinned against. Now, hear me say I'm not letting this person off the hook. Okay, hear me well. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have the power to decide. Does that destroy your life? Or can you just decide you have real serious issues and we're, go- we're going to get you some help? That's what we're going to do. And I know that's not the answer that's uh, prevalent in the community. But let me tell you why that's going to free us. Too many of us are walking around with the culture's view of being a victim. When Christ has given you power within you, you have the ability to not repay evil for evil. You have the ability to stand against evil with righteousness. You have so much more power than you know. And if this is not a husband that I'm connected to for the days of, end of days of my life, then... I'm going to show you where the exit is. But if you are a spouse and you are a believer and we are in an amazing church like this one, get some people to come in and have that conversation. But even at that, you have to decide that I get to choose what I think and feel about what you say. You don't get to choose that for me. You don't have that much power. And I'm going to take that back. I'm not giving that to you because the scripture didn't give it to you. Next. Yes. I'll address it now because I don't know where our time is going to take us. So let me address it now. The Bible calls me to submit to my husband, my husband, right? But God also calls me to biblical womanhood. So there's like three prongs here. There's submission to my husband. There's actually just biblical womanhood overall where I, I, I um, encourage male leadership. Then there's biblical femininity, where I walk through life embracing the female aspect that God created, right? Meaning, I'm not trying to look like a boy. I'm not trying to be a boy. I am embracing my biblical femininity, right? That's not pink and barrettes and that's, no, that's the world's view of that. 
we're not trying to get beyond our female state. That's one side. Biblical womanhood says, I encourage male leadership. I support male leadership. So even though it's not my husband, I'm going to submit to her husband as his role over me as pastor of this church. Do you get? Now, that submission does have a boundary greater than my submission to my husband. Right? Now, I'm sure Pastor Chris wouldn't mind me using him as an example. Pastor Chris may ask me as a member or as a person here, hey, would you run over to Walmart and grab me some plates, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to happily do that because he asked me to do that. Doesn't cause any sweat off my back. Now, Pastor Chris can't tell me, hey, quit your job and I'm going to need you to go work over here. See, there is a limit to where my submission goes to those who are not my husband. Now, if I work for my employer... My employer says, I want you to clock in at 7 a.m. and clock out at 3. I got to submit because that's his level of authority over me. Let's say that it's a job where I'm in leadership. We didn't get there yet, but we can be in leadership in other places. I walk in my biblical womanhood. I can have men that work for me as long as it's not a spiritual matter. Say I'm working at the gas station or Exxon or whatever else. I can have men that work for me, but I treat them respectfully. I don't try to rule over them in an in a ungodly way. I walk in my biblical femininity. I can fire you very, very kindly as a woman. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I don't have to be all boisterous and act manly to get the job done. That's walking in our biblical femininity and our biblical womanhood. So there are differences. What about the, I, I also would like to hear you say something about the men who are neither authorities in the church. Okay. Or our husbands, but there's a lot of men around. Yeah, and so. I would like for you just to address that, especially for the. So overall, I support male leadership everywhere. So every brother in the church, I will respect, right? Now, I don't have the same level of submission to every brother in the church. But I respect them all, and, I, tr- and I, I appreciate their leadership role. Does that make me any less than? No. But I, I respect them. I support them. I'm kind to them. When we get to 1 Timothy, you're going to see why it's important for women not to be raging and acting up in the church house against male leadership. I don't have to know a brother. That brother in the back, I, he brought me the mic. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I respect his leadership in that area. That's not, that's not making me dumb or stupid or low or a doormat. You see, it doesn't make you any less. God created them male. He created them as leaders. That's even the little ones. I remember I told my daughter, she, she had a son, and he was, you know, there's that leader, leader is in there, Right? He's trying to figure out how to get up the stairs at an appropriate age. But she's stopping him. I'm like, to a certain degree, you just need to brace and put up the borders. You need to let him explore. He's a male child. You need to let him explore. Are you going to hover over him all the time? He's a male child. I don't know if that answers your question. Anybody else? Now, I know in a room with this many women, somebody's feeling sideways. I'd love to talk about it. Take your break. Think about it. Write it down. I'd love for us to talk about it here because I would rather you get it here than go out there to someone that may give you something that's not truly biblical. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Can I ask one more question? Uh-huh. Uh, what is the 
Yeah, I really want to get there. I hope we can. Okay? Okay. I'm sure uh, your wheels are turning. I know mine are. But um, we do have some cards on the table. So if you have some questions that you want to write down and uh, maybe we can address as a group, I think um, if there are you know, several that have the same question, that'll be easier and we can use our time more effectively. Um, and so go ahead and um, write your questions down. But also talk amongst yourselves about things that you're wrestling with or things that you agree with or, you know, just what's going on with um, what we're hearing tonight. And we're going to go ahead and put dessert out and then we'll take a, a minute to um, do that. And then we'll come back for our second session. Thanks. Do we believe that he's all wise? Yes. Do we believe that he's all knowing? Do you believe that he loves you? Yes. So let me ask you this. What are you struggling with right now? What part of this makes that not true? He's always good. He never changes. He's always going to love you. So if he's good and he's all wise, he knows what's best for us. So if we struggle with his word... Why? It's my heart. So at some point, I have to stop. You can write me a question on every situation, every scenario, every instance where somebody's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. My point back to you is what about you? What will you do with what he has written in his word? So you might be thinking, you know what? I don't really like this. Not feeling this. You might be even thinking, this is very unfair. No? You could be thinking, this can't be. I encourage you to go back and look it up in the word for yourself. Be a Berean. Please don't let your flesh, the world, or the devil, the devil entice you to stay in a worldview that is ungodly. I want to just take two minutes and talk to you about something that really was unfair. Many things happen in this world to people. Many things happen to women. We're abused in many different ways. We are uh, subjected to hardships that we should be. There's rape, molestation, kidnapping, sex trafficking. There's so many things that happen to people and to women on this side. But I want to remind you of something. Many, 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 many years ago, there was a man who never did anything to anyone who was perfect. Left heaven, came down, put on the clothes of a human. He was the God man, perfect in every way. They whipped him. They beat him. They took a cat of nine tails and flicked his flesh off of him when he had done nothing wrong. He stood in the gap for us. He took what was meant for us. Was that fair? Was that fair? People mistreated him. The word of God says the things they did to him, they will do even more to you.
So if you're waiting for the world to treat you right before you do what God says, you're going to be waiting a long time. A very long time. It's likely not to happen. If you're waiting for every husband to do right, do what God says before you do, you're going to miss a sweet life of obeying God. And then when you get to heaven, being rewarded for your obedience, you're going to miss all of that because you're waiting on him to do right. So I just want to encourage you. You may struggle with this as I did. I struggled for many years. But I encourage you to bow your knee to the Father and you get it right. Regardless to whoever else won't get it right, you get it right. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go just a little bit further. And then I'm going to ask ask and answer some questions from you. Um, I'm going to switch streams just a little bit because I feel like this is where we're going. I saw this online and it says, girls can't what? Have you ever been told you can't because you're a girl? You can't. Remember I said, they said our brains were too tiny. Um, Women pastors, female clergy, and young girls who want to preach will love this female pastor design. Order it on t-shirts, hoodies, posters, stickers, and other gift items. Girls can't what? Well, this is the world that we live in. We live in the world right now where there are pastors. This is Pastor Kim Brown, Bishop Tim Clark. You know, there's uh, pastors and bishops, and they're all women, right? The question is, is that what God has called us to? Let's just remember we said that complementarian means men and women have distinct genders. We're equal in value. Men have the leadership role in the church and the home. Women support their husbands in the home and their leadership in the church. Which takes us now to biblical womanhood in our ministry life, in our church life. Now, I need some more readers. Let's go to First Timothy. Chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 12, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to talk a little bit and move a little bit into women teaching in the church. Who would like to read? Yes, ma'am. And I need one more for chapter 3. Miss Janet is going to take chapter 2, 11, 12. Someone take 3, 1 through 12. Yes, ma'am. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. I do not allow. So here's what most of us say. Well, who's the I in that? Who is Paul? That ain't my daddy. Paul wrote that. That's not. He's saying he decides. Okay, but now I'm going to need you to walk back down a theological train with me. Where did the scriptures come from? Who inspired and moved these men to write. So all scripture is what? God breathed. All scripture is inspired. So we can't now, now change our mind and go, but that was Paul. No, all scripture. Let's go to chapter 3. Not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of 
wives likewise, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household. Okay, here's the concern for some. Well, this is our 21st century version of the Bible. Okay? So when you study uh, the Bible and where we got our Bible from, yes, they wrote it, it was transcribed, then we get uh, translations and then transliterations. NASB, well, KJV is the closest to the original text. New KJV is probably the second closest to the original text. And then NASB would come after that, and then ESV would come after NASB. And then everything after that is not a word for word. Everything after that is more of a thought for thought or an idea for idea. You with me? So if we're reading this from one that's very close to the original text, then when I see this, I can't make this gender neutral. Work with me. Because... Some will say, but they don't really mean men here. This is men like all men come to Jesus. As in, this is not male. This is all humans. This is anyone. My problem with that is when you get down to uh, verse, where is it? If you were to just change this and make this gender neutral, verse 2, an overseer then must be above the reproach, the husband. What am I going to do with that? I got to change that too, right? So it, a husband of one wife. So this is clearly male gender. Same thing for deacons. If you go over to verse 12, if I try to make this gender neutral... And that this is not about men, then I got another problem. Deacons must be husbands. What am I going to do? I got to change that too. Well, now I'm just flipping and flopping the text as I so please. Do you see? To, to fit what I want it to say instead of what it is saying. Here, Paul restricts women from the role of those who give authoritative teaching in the church based on a theological rather than a cultural argument. Some people will say, well, they were dealing with some unruly women in the church. Are there never any unruly? Um, okay. Just thought it was our church. Even if that's the case, this is the word of God. It applies to all of us. It's not cultural based. Because then, if I'm going to say it's cultural-based, then I get to pick in the 66 books which part I think is cultural only and doesn't apply to me. He talks in chapter 2 about quietness and full submission. It means a receptive, restful attitude that promotes learning. Nothing here suggests surrender of any intellectual or spiritual capability. It still has nothing to do with how smart or not smart we are. Now... Some people have taken this to extremes, quietness and full submission, meaning a woman can never say anything in the church. Okay, we're going to talk about that spectrum, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying that you should not be um, questioning your pastors, your teachers, your male leaders in such a way that you are coming across as domineering and aggressive and disrespectful. You should be Learning in a submissive way, meaning a respectful way. 
According to Acts and 1 Corinthians, it is quite clear that women prayed. You're going to find praying women everywhere. So you can't say, oh, a woman's never supposed to pray in the church. It's all over the Bible. They prophesied. Now, we're not going to go there. That's for Pastor Chris. And testified <laughs> in church meetings. So you can't say a woman can't speak in church. Although some take it that far. That's saying more than what the text says. We never want to say more. We never want to say less than what God has said. Right? But teaching was reserved for the men because it was the duty of the elders who were male to be the teachers. Thus teaching and exercising authority went hand in hand. Now today women will say, well, I might teach, but I don't have authority over them. But you do. Because you're standing in an authoritative position. How are you going to say, thus says the word of God, and this is what you need to do, and say that's not authoritative? It is. God's design. That's what we just read. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Teach or exercise authority over a man. But to remain quiet, for it was Adam. So, wait, I thought this was just for Paul's day. No, God takes you all the way back to Genesis to show you this is not a cultural thing. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. I'm going to let Pastor Chris do that little part right there too. Because that's a whole situation. Now what is the point of the command? Here's the point. We, women, are not to be in any position in the church whereby we are teaching Bible doctrine to adult men. Okay, well, I guess since y'all haven't stoned me yet, I'll just keep going. (laughs) Any position in the church, this is spiritual matters. This is spiritual matters. This is not saying a woman can't go out here and run a plumbing crew with men that work for her as plumbers. Now, remember I said earlier she should still respect their manhood and walk in biblical femininity, but she can do that. She can lead. This is spiritual matters. Anywhere in the look, teach or have authority. Teaching is having to do with the word of God. Adult men. Now, every church has to make the cutoff wherever they cut that off, wherever they decide Children are now almost adults. Young boys, right around 12, 13, 14, start looking at women a whole lot different. Right? So we decided in our church, right at 10, you out of here. Get out of my children's church. Go somewhere else looking at me crazy. Go on over there and let the men teach you. Because listen, it's very hard to teach a 16-year-old how to be a man, and you're doing it. Right? Because then at some point they're going to ask, well, why are you, where's, even if you're single and you got to get somebody at the church to help you, I'm not saying you don't parent. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the local church, each church decides what's the cutoff on where women are teaching these young boys. Every church gets to decide that. Women are not to be in any leadership position in the local church whereby they have authority over adult men. That's hard. Because a lot of people are saying, well, why can't? What about um, administration in the local church? You have authority over men. Every church decides what, line, what side of the line they want to fall on that. I'm the church administrator for our church. 
Therefore, we have no men that serve in that ministry with me. I'm not going to lead over a man. Now, some men come to our church and they're a little bruised because maybe they're accountants or whatever else. We're like, look, dude, you can do everything else. Women get to do what they can do, what God has allowed us to do. Uh, women are to receive instruction in a respectful manner. Does that mean that you can't disagree? No. But do you have to be disagreeable? The definition of teach. Because here's, here's the whole situation. People are saying, well, I'm not really teaching. I'm just having a little talk. Yeah. So many people have called me and asked me to come up on a Sunday morning and have a talk. Okay, are there men sitting there? Yeah, okay, well, I can't talk to them. So it's teaching. If I'm going to open the word of God and didactically break it down and tell you what it says, that's teaching. To provide, it means to provide biblical instruction. To deliver didactic biblical discourses. To present Bible doctrine for the sake of learning and developing another in spiritual maturity. Well, let's just stay there for just one minute. This is teach or have authority over men. Is that saying that you can't have women? Titus told us to teach the women. We're supposed to have a whole women's ministry to teach the women. So it's not saying you can't teach at all in the church. It's saying you don't get to teach men Bible doctrine. You can't teach and have authority over men. But let me just tell you, statistically, almost everywhere in America... Not all of them, but almost everywhere, most churches, two-thirds of the church is women and children. So, let's think about that. Two-thirds of the church is women and children. We are allowed by God to teach women and children. Who's got the bigger share of the ministry? Hmm. But we're worried about them. 45 minutes behind that wooden idol. Is that not crazy? That's absolutely crazy. Your influence is big and broad and wild. You can do so much. Second, uh, First Timothy 2. We read this, I think. The purpose. What was his purpose? So this is clearly based on the creation order going back to Genesis. God created man as the head and then created one man as the helper. It's not a question of capability. Can y'all say that with me? It is not about capability, but a question about calling and design. It's not that we can't out-preach them. My husband says it all the time. Boy, if the Lord hadn't said, he says, shoot, she'd be my co-pastor. But the Lord said, he often tells people, listen, my wife, she can really preach. And I'm going to tell you what, you give me a room full of women, I'm going for it. Because we can. It's just the design. So it's not about capability. It's not about intelligence. Jesus was capable of taking over while on earth, but his purpose was to serve as the perfect sacrifice for sin. Are we any better than Jesus? Come on, put it in perspective. They said to him, if you are king, get yourself down from there. Could he not have come down? But the father had told him what to go and do. He did what the father said. Will we not do what the father says? This is based on creation disorder. The fact that Eve was deceived and then began to act out on her own sense of authority that was not sanctioned led to the chaos we experience now. I say, I know that I'm not going to be worried about her, but right here today, I would love to sit her down and have a conversation. <laughs> Listen, friend, you caused me some trouble, right? Right? <laughs> 
Adam's submission to that authority shows irresponsibility on both Adam and Eve's part. Now, there is this wide spectrum between egalitarianism and complementarianism. People are far left, people are far right, and then there are people that are in the middle. Okay? So let's, let's see if we can look at this. You have complementarians, the people that are uh, all the way over here. Okay, so let's go over here. People that are all the way over here, like extreme complementarian, they're going to tell you you can't even whisper in church. Okay? You can't do nothing but show up and be quiet. And oh, don't forget to give. <laughs> That's their way over here. That's the extreme. You're going to go all the way over here to your egalitarians, and they say you could do everything. Look, put Pastor Chris out because you could do it better than him. You don't need no man. That's this far. There's the center place where most people fall, where we try to find a way to do what God has called us to do without going to either of these extremes. We definitely don't want to cross the line into egalitarianism at all. I would venture to suggest that we don't even try to get as close to the line. Why do I want to be close to the fire? Now, I'm not going way out there with those who, who say more than what God said, right? But we want to be in line. But I just want you to know that when you walk out here and you have this conversation with people, you're going to find that people are, they can be out there, they can be out here, but they can be kind of in the middle too. So, now, remember we were talking about worldview earlier? Our worldview on the role of women will determine how we minister to women, whether we're going to be biblical or non-biblical. So, what I believe about God is going to tell me what I believe about women, which then tells me what I believe about leadership which builds my theology of women in leadership. You might ask, how does a woman become a pastor? How's she doing that? How's she co-pastor? We live in Houston with the Osteens. She's co-pastor with her husband. And you ask yourself, how did somebody get there? Because what I believe about God, I believe God, God created me equal. God created me smart and intelligent. And I am just as good as any man. I believe that's the God that I serve. So then what? Then I believe that I'm woman and I can do whatever I want to do, which gets me to a theology in women in leadership. So what I believe about God tells me what I believe about women. And this tells me what I believe about leadership, which then tells me what I believe about the church. Now I have just built a theology of women's leadership in the church. But where did it start? What I believe about God. In essence, what I believe about his written word. So if you go off in the word and build your own thing like they did with Galatians, then your whole stack is going to fall and collapse and will be untrue and unbiblical by the time you get to the end. So... I just need you to know that this subject is tearing us apart as Christians. It's separating homes. It's separating churches, denominations. It is tearing us apart. But it's not the truth of God's word. It's our selfish ambition. This lady writes this in her book. She says, Unfortunately, many Christians approach the topic with pride rather than humility. We are prone to regard the other side as fools or scoundrels. Fools cannot recognize what should be obvious, and scoundrels willfully misunderstand what is clear. 
We don't show love. We set up an atmosphere of competition and division in our house, in the church, based on equality, based on what we believe God's word to be saying. Being theologically correct is more important than me loving you. So we're fighting everywhere in the streets. Christians, tearing up, tearing up everything regarding this right here. So we're going to ignore other parts of the scripture, which is love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is long. We're going to ignore all of that because we need to be right about this. Well, we need to say what God says, but we need to also make sure that we're not disobeying him in other areas while we're doing that. Now, womanhood. A woman was not designed to take a man's place but to work alongside of him. A woman is to operate in such a manner whereby her talents, her gifts, and abilities correspond and complements male leadership. We complement. Remember, it can't be done with one. It takes both, male and female, to get the mission done. Right? She is not to operate in any manner whereby she seeks to replace or be co-equal to male leadership. So there goes co-pastor, right? Therefore, it is prudent for a woman to learn, live, and discipline herself around the precepts and plans of God. If you don't become a Berean, if you don't study these scriptures, if you don't, I, I need you to look up those scriptures, see what they say, learn what is the context of what they're saying. Not what you believe, not what culture has taught you, not what your mama said, because your mama said your daddy was stupid. No, none of that. I need you to see what does the word of God say? Now, this is a good thing. Okay, I'm going to say it in English. This is a good thing. Amen. She said, yay. This is a good thing. Our God is good. He never makes a mistake. So I want to read some passages. I need some readers. I'm going to put it up here, though. But I just need you to volunteer to read it. Mark 10. Oh, no, it's not up here. I'm sorry. Somebody pick up Mark 10, verses 32 through 40. Mark 10. Uh Uh-huh. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And am I in the Yes, you are. 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? No, wait. So they're saying he's about to be killed who did nothing. And they're like, hey, need a favor before you go. <laughs> Keep going. And they said to him, let us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left and in your glory. 
said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So when you're looking at this text, what we get from that is, listen, he's saying, listen, you don't understand my position. There's so much going to happen here. You don't want to be in this position. You don't even understand what you're asking for. We don't even understand what we're asking for trying to become men. Work with me. Your husbands have to give an account for what happens in the house, i.e. you, the children. He does. Your pastor, Pastor Chris, how many of you are members here? He has to give an account to God for how he shepherded you. Do you want that? I'm sorry, I'm bowing out. Matter of fact, I'm putting in my my two-day notice. I ain't even staying two weeks. I'm out. We don't even know what we're asking for. Men have their own struggles in life, and women have their own struggles in life. You don't even, can't even comprehend what you're trying to get when you're trying to take that leadership role. And most men would tell you, if they didn't have to have it, they'd probably give it back. <laughs> Mark 10, 41 through 45. Somebody. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, so even the Son of Man didn't come to serve... To be served, but to serve? So we can't serve male leadership? All right. Anybody going? Okay. Going, going, gone. Nobody's going to agree. Amen. No, okay. It's different. The first shall be last. It makes no sense. God's order doesn't make human sense. Do you get it? An innocent God-man died. Who didn't have to do so. That makes no sense. For us who were enemies of the cross. Wanted nothing to do with him. Died a shameful horrible death. It doesn't make human sense. So if you keep trying to rationalize this. And get it straight in your brain. To get it to make sense. It might not never make sense. You just have to do what he says. John 13 and 3. Anyone? John 13 and 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Yeah, listen, you got to know your purpose. Christ knew his purpose. He was not to be distracted. Peter came up talking crazy, said, get thee behind me. You don't even know what you're saying. You got to know what God has called you to. 
He saved you. He set you apart, meaning you're sanctified and being sanctified to show forth his love to a dying world. What is your purpose here? To give God all the glory you can give him, to evangelize, to disciple. Get about the business that God has for you and leave all those cultural wars out there for them to fight. Right? We are but a vapor. Life is short. If we just keep our eye on what God has called us to do and not get caught up in all the rest, God's got it under control. Right? He'll take care of it. Know your purpose. Spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. Not merely to fulfill our desires or ambitions of what we want to do. So yes, I have the gift of teaching. Wonderful. So I don't get to teach men. Hallelujah. I can go teach women. I can go teach children. You see what I'm saying? Two-thirds of the congregation. Spiritual gifts are for the church. Not just for me to get puffed up on I can teach, I can preach. So here are the problems. Here's the problems. Maybe you're thinking it. Confusion and disorder in the church are due to a lack of biblical understanding. It's a lack of what the world is trying to make us believe this is saying, but it's not really saying. You get what I'm saying? It's causing confusion and disorder within us. And, and it's not saying that you're unintelligent or you're less than or you're not important or special to God. We're all a little special, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Feminist concepts have entered the church and are leading to a watering down of biblical admonitions regarding roles for men and women in the church. Confusion and disorder in the church are due to our lack of commitment to the truth. Our lack of commitment to God's word. So... Before I get here, what are you thinking? Two minutes. What happens when you have family members that go to two different churches? One has women pastors and one doesn't, and then they get together, and it's like... Well, they should have examined that before they got married, because that's clearly some problem. family members, like my adult children. I have some that go to churches that women don't, and then I have some that go to churches women. Yeah, and but it becomes a topic of I take them to the scripture and they get to choose if they're going to follow him or not. They're adults. Right? You just teach. And you teach by example, too. Someone else. What are you thinking? What are you struggling with? Yes, ma'am. Is there a difference between um, sharing a testimony and teaching? <clears throat> Okay, so she said, is there a difference between sharing a testimony and teaching? So this is the little game that we're all playing out here in this world, right? I go in here and I'm going to give you my testimony. And, but it's going to be strong and heavily laden in, 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 in scripture. And, and it's a didactic breakdown of what the text means and all that. I've gone a little beyond just giving my testimony of telling you how the Lord saved me and delivered me. I can do that in three minutes. I can do that in front of men. I can read scripture. Now, every church is going to vary on that. That's that spectrum I told you about. Some churches are complementarian, but, but they're not egalitarian. They're complementarian, but they don't want women reading scripture from the pulpit. Some are okay. You can read the scripture, just don't go near the pulpit. They can put a mic down there on the floor for you. <laughs> tomato, tomato, if you ask me. But I think we're 
kind of playing with that to get what we want. Yes, ma'am. So, uh, Miriam. Uh huh. Leading worship. Yes. All right. We're back on the spectrum. Okay. Go into the complementarian church, right? Some will say a woman can lead worship. Some will say no because she's leading over men. That's each church is going to get there. You got to decide. I don't think that's anywhere near egalitarian unless she's leading and she's. Okay, so this song is about First Timothy and here's what it means. It means this and this is how this is what we need to do as a result of this. Now let's sing. Okay, so now I've gone into something other than just here's a song. Let's go. But every church is going to fall in a different place there. That doesn't make them egalitarian. They're just somewhere on that spectrum. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. Was a judge? Yes. Uh-huh. 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 What was the time frame? And what's the book you're looking in? Judges. What was happening in Judges? Yes. Yes, but let me get you, uh, somebody else, help me here. What was happening in, yeah, what was happening, Miss <coughs> Janet can't play this game. What was happening in Judges? Everybody does what was right in their own eyes. Are we really going to build a theology of what we should do in the church based on the book of Judges? The context was everything they wanted to do that was right in their own eyes. And if we would ever just really read it, she says to Barak, she says to him, the victory will be handed over to a woman if you want to go do this. Even she's not trying to put herself in that position. But we miss all of that and just get to. And then the other thing I say is, y'all know she was sitting up under a tree. So if you'd like to go on out there under that tree to knock yourself out. But she wasn't in the main emphasis of the judges. And that time period, that's why when we read the Bible, you need to understand context and ask the hard questions of what's going on at this time. Okay, last one. Yes, ma'am. What about it? Uh, All of you go and make disciples. Now, well, hold up. (laughs) All of you go and evangelize, right? All of us go. Tell of Jesus. Everybody. Everywhere. They come to Jesus. You got a guy. You told him about Jesus. He came to Jesus. He made a profession of faith. What should you do with him now? Turn him over to a male. Get him over to the church. He needs to be baptized and discipled and get him to a man. What do you do with the woman? Same thing. You turn her over to the church. Let the pastor decide which one of you ladies are going to walk her through her new life. All go out. But what I'm seeing is women setting up these evangelistic missions in their neighborhood. And so it's not enough that the men come, they get saved, and then they start doing Bible studies. Well, you've gone too far now. So here we go. We'll close up. So what can women do in a church? (coughs) Anything God says she can do. 
There are no limits if God said you can do it. What can you do for your church is the question. Where will you get in and fit in? Remember, two thirds. There's so much work to be done. So much work to be done. Matter of fact, I did a little research on California. Let me tell you what I found. Let me tell you what I found. I found out as it relates to women that in 2023, 14,799 women were raped. 1,023 young girls were sex trafficked. Did you know, because I didn't know, that California is the largest location for human trafficking? So, if we're running around worrying about that wooden idol called the pulpit, what's happening to our girls that are being abused and violated, beaten and raped? What about our girls who are committing suicide in middle school? college? What about our girls who are overdosing or being date raped right when they go off to college? Maybe we could get a college ministry going. You see what I'm saying? What about the homeless women? And most of all, what about all the women right outside these doors and your doors at home that are dying and going to go to hell and will be eternally separated from God? What can we do in the church? We quit fighting over that pulpit is what we can do and get busy because there's quite a bit of work. There's quite a bit of work. You can get into women's ministry, girls ministry, young adult ministry, children's ministry, nursery, Awanas, praise team, ushers, missions, praise team with a caveat. However, your pastor does that, right? Use your gifts is the point. It's not necessarily all about where. Don't you want to be useful for the king wherever? Wherever? Would you like to really have to stand before God and say, I was so busy about trying to be the leader in my home, busy about trying to be the leader at church, that here's a statistic. Real quick, do this for me. First two rows. One, two, three, four. Count off. One, two, three, four. One, one two, three, four. One, one, two, one. One. Oh, I skipped you. One, two, three, four. Listen, here's the t- statistics. One in every four women in our churches will have an abortion. One in every three women in our churches will think about suicide. What can you do in the church? Are we really, really, really going to stay hung up on all of this stuff? Or are we going to get about the father's business? I'm just wondering. It's a crisis of belief I had to come to you. I'm encouraging you to wrestle with it and get there. Remember this. God has created all things and by him all things exist. Everything that God creates has specific function and exists for a precise purpose. Everything. A cat cannot behave like a dog and a dog cannot function as a cat. I'm sorry, furry. They each have a specific function in this world order. So do men and women. A worldview that is contrary to the idea of different functions for men and women would assert that men and women are equal in all aspects. And lastly... 
Here's our frequently asked questions, because this is what most people ask me. Okay, so women who serve as pastors, bishops, or elders in the church, are they providing spiritual insight to men? What do you say? Yes, yes, they're serving as pastors, bishops, and elders. How how are they going to be husband or one wife? Are they teaching men biblical truths and holding them accountable to fulfill biblical mandates? Yeah. Are they ruling over the congregation in an authoritative manner? Yeah. So this would be a violation. So thus they are what? In sin. Now I'm going to close with this. If I could figure out MacBook. All right. If I could figure it out. Well, right here. Okay. This is an a illustration I found. This lady wrote this article, this, this blog. This is what she said. God owes me nothing. He has granted me certain privileges that I am free to exercise. For instance, as one of his redeemed, I can come boldly before his throne and not fear for my life because I come clothed in Christ's righteousness. Imagine that. I can't walk into the White House and gain an audience with the president, but I can go with confidence into the Oval Office of the universe and commune intimately with the creator. Wow. I have the privilege to ask him for anything, but he owes me nothing. Not my next breath, not my next job, not my next meal, not my egalitarian rights in ministry. Nothing. So he loves us and he loves us enough to be in relationship with us. But this relationship is on his terms. Amen. Amen. Questions? Yes, ma'am. Yep. Yep. That's kind of a do as I say, but not as I do, right? Anybody else? Question, comment? Yes, ma'am. Complementarianism and the thinking woman's dilemma. I've not read it, so there's that. Okay, next. Here's one. My husband is a believer. He doesn't lead our family in Bible study or prayer. The same thing was true in my family growing up, and I saw that it was a source of grief. Um, I don't want the same mistakes in my family. I want my children to see their dad as the authority, and I want family prayer time. Yeah, what you want is a good thing, but do you worship it? Are you willing to allow God to... Grow him at his pace. Encourage him. Ask him, hey, can we pray tonight? Um, I was looking at this scripture. Would you mind? Can we go over it together with the kids? Uh, Go at it with a heart of patience and humility. And we can't make somebody grow up faster than God wants them to grow. Any other questions or thoughts? Miss Janet, do you have any more back there? Okay, so let me ask you this, and then we'll close. What are you going to do with this? 
pray and study. You need to be a Berean. Don't take my word for it. Go look it up. But please look it up in context. Don't get conned. Don't get conned. <laughs> what are you going to do with this? She said, seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness from her husband. Anybody else? What would be the hardest thing about this to apply? Yeah, but what part of it would be the hardest? Letting go of control. Which, technically, we just don't realize we already did when we got saved. Because we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We're bought and sold. So we kind of don't have that control anymore anyway. Right? What else? What would be the hardest thing to practice? I think the hardest is when you're dealing with a, a, a male leadership that is ungodly, in a sense, or not taught, or not trained, or just unkind. And that's going to happen. Just remember, your Christianity doesn't depend on them. You still have to do right. And who knows? It's like First Peter, those who are married to unsaved believers, he said, win them without a word. And say, don't do right. No, win them without a word. Don't be leaving scripture on their pillow and all this other stuff. <laughs> win them without a word. Amen? Yes. Thank you.